my mind, the man who objects to blind tee shots over big hills is in grave danger of being a golfing prig, but it is reasonable to object to too many blind approaches. Those are the words of noted golf writer Bernard Darwin with his thoughts on Royal County Down, Northern Ireland. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, David Hill, as always coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky, and this is episode 17. Something a little different that I'm calling the Blind Shots episode. You're going to hear from an all-star cast of voices from diverse perspectives in the golf world that I enlisted initially to help me settle the 2020 version of a grill room debate. But the experience turned into an opportunity to think through and ultimately perhaps think differently about a part of the golf course experience that I'm particularly fond of, the blind golf shot. For those of you wondering what I'm talking about, the blind shot in golf is one where you're hitting a shot without being able to see the target at which you're aiming. Something is in the way. A hill, a mountain, a bunker, trees. It could be something as simple as elevation change. You're in the low spot and the hole is up in the high spot. Something keeps you from seeing where you're going. Quick reminder before we get into that that the show is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows, which you can find over at TalkingGolf.com. Please interact with this show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod. Especially important to this episode, there will be links to pertinent websites and other information from the show collected, collated, and set forth in the show notes and over on the blog. So do check those out. This episode started as a discussion between my friend John Mark and I. Uh, John Mark, you may remember from his brief appearance in episode 2.5. He and I were arguing about his critiques of Tobacco Road Golf Course and how it compared to other world-class public access courses. I, of course, defended Tobacco Road's honor rather easily. But one of his contentions on the superiority of blind approach shots over blind tee shots, which, frankly, are a key feature at Tobacco Road, um, but you know, found elsewhere on courses that I enjoy generally, That criticism stuck in my crawl and warranted further discussion about a week later. In a back-and-forth text exchange, which basically is what passes for a barstool argument in 2020, I roundly defeated his propositions, though he remained unconvinced. Once he devolved into ad hominem attacks, I knew it was time to call in other voices to provide reason and analysis on the subject. Look, I hope you enjoy the show. It was by far the most fun I've had as a host, being able to talk to so many different people in a short space of time on a subject so arcane and so almost trivial that several of them admitted that they had never, ever put any thought into it before. That's the kind of deep dive research that we're getting known for here at the Blind Shots Podcast. I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy it. We begin this endeavor in a familiar place with a few brief words from my friends, Fred and Matt, with their thoughts on the idea of which is better, more worthy challenge on the golf course, the blind tee shot or the blind approach shot. And the road takes a winding path from there. Enjoy, everybody. We're going to reach out for experts in the field. Um, And since I don't know any experts, I'm including you guys in this. Um, you settled with us, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it. You're you're everyday golfers, just like we are. You know, blind tee shots, you know, really suck the first time you play the hole. But uh, a blind um, blind approach shot suck every time you play. 
uh, I, I would rather, you know, I would rather play a course knowing that I've played it before where, you know, I know where that fairway ends. I know, I know where I need to aim it. I know what I can, what I can hit to, to stay in the fairway, so on and so forth. And once you figure that out, you can, you can play that hole from that tee and not see it land and, and pretty much know where your ball is at. But, um, I never like, I never like standing over a shot, not knowing, you know, exactly where that pin is on the green or not knowing, you know, what side of the green that it's on, unless you go up and look and you come back and you're aiming at a cloud that moved, you know, by the time you walk back down there. And, you know, that's just, that's not, that's no good. You know, I would much rather, I would, uh, I would much rather have a blind tee shot, you know, than a, than a blind approach. Well, I know somebody that would just say, well, walk faster, Fred, so that cloud doesn't move as much. <laughs> uh, Everyone tells me that in the first place. So <laughs> Now, you, you kind of went the other way. I'll, I'll circ- go back just to say, you know, I know approximately how far my driver goes if I hit it well, but there's much more variation in the direction and distance on my drives, whereas a blind on a blind approach shot – you know, I've got maybe 10 or 15 yards variance between a well-struck and a, a poorly struck iron, uh, you know, less as the, the clubs get shorter and higher. So I almost fear that that approach shot, I feel like I've got a handle on the math on that better. Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely sweating the, the tee shot much more. Um, than I am the the blind approach. Maybe I just don't look at it as a scoring chance um, as much as as you might there. But that's uh, yeah, I might go the other way. I, I you know, I, cresting the hill to find a a a blind tee shot, you know, that's a relief. Do I am I in play? Am I it, you know am I on the course? Am I on the right hole? Um, I thought. 10 at Ely was the best um, the, the best version of that where we were kind of hitting over the hill not knowing what was there we had a we had a distance on the scorecard just kind of hit and hope versus if you have a you know like an elevated blind green like 16 at Tobacco Road okay I, I know about you know if I get it up there I've got a fighting chance um, maybe that green's a bad example because the ball's just as likely to end up back yeah. at your feet. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, maybe that is the the poor example. But, but Matt, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, blind blind shots generally, blind shots from the tee versus approaches into greens you can't see or can't partially see. So the very first thing that needs to be mentioned is how did we get to episode like 172 of the Blind Shots podcast before you started talking about blind shots? That that needs to be stated right off the bat. Uh, it's just just a miss on your part. Yes. Um, but taking taking that out of the equation, um, I'm firmly in in the team Dave's camp on this. Um, I for me a tee shot is much more of a it's a feel thing. It's a, like you said, there's a heck of a lot more variation. I'm trying to do more with it. I'm trying to shape the shot a little bit more typically. Um, and when I say trying, I mean my ball moves whether I want it to or not. Um, and so I got to figure out exactly where I'm going to, where I'm going to start it and where I'm, where it's going to end up. The iron shot tends to be generally straighter. Um, now it may, it may be straighter off to the right or straighter off to the left, 
but it's generally moving in the direction that it started out. Um, and so if you've got a blind tee shot where you don't have the ability to see that hole uh, and, and really set yourself up with a feel and a strategy for how you're going to play it and where it's going to end up, um, I find that to be a lot more difficult than that blind approach shot to a green where you know, I can convince myself, okay, I'm hitting it at that tree. Even if it's the wrong spot, I can get over that shot and, and feel more confident, even if it's blind, arrogant confidence. So I, I think I, I fall squarely in, in uh, on Team Dave. Yeah, you know, thinking about it, the I don't remember any necessarily blind tee shots, but at North Barrick, you know, you've got – um, the perfection hole, uh, which that's the one where you guys your your push cart stuff perished, and <clears throat> seventeen with that green that big bowl up on the hill, those are one. I didn't have any fear coming into those. There was you know some excitement. Um, I just feel like you can trust the math on a blind approach shot if you're aimed even remotely in the right direction. Versus from a, a blind tee shot, there's, um, you know, even at Ely on the the one where that had the um, the stand where you climbed the stairs and you went up to the little platform to make sure the fairway was clear, you know, even that having gone up there and come back, by the time I got back to the tee box, you know, did my mind trust what I had seen? You know, did, could I could I convince myself? Do I? Well, I guess it comes down to which one do you trust more? Uh, with your own game, I trust my irons, my short irons, especially much more to hit a target than you know driver, five wood, hybrid, something like that. Uh, m- maybe your games are a little different. So uh, I just want to I just want to be clear. I know Matt just said that he's on he's on Team Dave, and I said, and after my comment, you said that you felt like you were in your own category. So uh, am I? Am I somehow on Team John Mark all of a sudden? <laughs> No, I, no, I, I, no, no! You definitely he he would glorify the the blind approach shot and and hold it up, you know, as um, the, the crux of his argument. That, so then Fred's on Team Fred. Yeah, he's on Team Fred and Team Team Dave. That uh, a blind tee shot is more palatable. It's a it's a good challenge, um, but it's not the end all be all. Might be it's more difficult the first time. Uh, for you, you apparently have a little more faith in your your drives than perhaps I do. Um, yeah, there's more. There's room for more than one team, Fred. You're fine. You don't have to team up with okay. John Mark. All right, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to hear from Fred and Matt. And as much as I enjoy chatting up anything, even tangentially related to golf. I felt this exercise needed more expertise than the three of us could muster together. So I reached out to noted golf course architect Nathan Crace. Nathan is a member of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, and he is the founder and principal of the Watermark Golf Companies. He's been designing and building golf courses for more than 25 years, using a hands-on approach and attention to detail that I've admired from a distance from time to time, so it was kind of a thrill to be able to speak with him. He's also a bit of a renaissance man, as he's a member of the Golf Writers Association of America, has penned a column under the Lipouts moniker for many years, and that's appeared in a wide variety of golf course publications, and is a published author. I'd encourage you to check out his latest novel titled 
Vincent Vino, which you can peruse at vincentvino.com. I know that just got added to my Christmas list. Nathan's combination of technical expertise and the ability to communicate in a simple, no-nonsense way made him the perfect candidate to bring clarity to our discussion and debate. Here's Nathan. From a, from the architect, from a strategic p- perspective, differentiate a little bit for me when you would want to use a blind tee shot versus um, you know more um, maybe a more common blind approach or to a hidden green or obstructed view, something like that. Yeah, I think what I what I was uh, discussing and essentially that text or that uh, message was, you know, ideally you'll see every tee shot that lands in the fairway in a, in a round of golf. You know, so typically you've got four, 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 so 14 tee shots, you know, like to be able to see the ball land. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it's topography. Sometimes uh, your budget doesn't allow you to move as much dirt as you'd like to move. And then sometimes there are just holes that lend themselves to having a, a blind shot. It just kind of, kind of fits the, the scenery and the setting. Um, on the other hand, and approach shots are kind of fun. You know, if you have a, maybe a back right pin and if you can hit it down the left side of the fairway, it opens up your view into that pin, maybe over a bunker or a mound or something in that effect. You play down the right side and maybe you're a little more screened off from that. So, uh, again, my goal is to make people use their brain when they're playing golf. You know, even if maybe sometimes they don't even realize it. But that's the fun of the game is that it's challenging, and, and even if you don't hit as many good shots as you'd like, you think, okay, well, next time I'm going to come back and try it this way. And so it's you know, it really comes down it's all about options, options and, and optical illusions. The optical illusions part of it, that's one of my favorite things about the game, and I, I find the handful of courses that I really, really hold in high regard, um, they – they force a decision on you, and they and it a lot of it is visually driven. Someplace like, even someplace like Mid Pines that doesn't have a ton of elevation change down there in the sand hills, you get a, something as simple as being on the wrong side of the fairway, and all of a sudden you've got a little bit obstructed view. You can't see where that that ball is going to land on the green or where that flag is, and that just it's a different feeling uh, than being able to see where it, where it lands. Now I would argue that's a little. That's a little easier and that's a little more fun than a, a blind tee shot where, you know, I'm racing to crest the hill on a blind tee shot to see if my ball's in play. I'm, ra- right. I'm, I'm racing up the hill on a blind approach to see if I got it close, if it funneled or, you know, if I missed it. Um, there's a little different element there. Is that – that, now, you're talking to a guy that's a 10 handicap, so it's not like I'm playing at the highest level. Um is this something that you find that mental game messes more with the, the better player uh, than someone that is maybe not as precise with their golf game? You know, that's an interesting question. I I don't think so, and that could probably be debated, but I don't think so because uh, the better player, your single-digit handicaps, um, they know exactly how far they hit each club and the wind conditions and elevation and how it affects the ball. It's the, you know, the 10, 15, 20 handicapper, you know, he or she's standing over that ball. They're getting ready to pull it back and they're thinking, okay, it's 155, but it looks like it's 145. You know, and so there's a little bit of, I can't see the bottom of it. Is the pin, 
it says it's in the back, but it kind of looks like it's in the front, you know. So they're they have to really trust trust their swing and and trust that. And the better handicap, the lower handicap players, better players really have that sort of you know ground in already. They're they they know they're going to hit it one fifty five, one fifty seven. That you know, that's a, a different spin on that. That I think I'm you've you've turned me around on that. I, I think their precision with their distances is going to make that approach a little easier. Now, um, now you said that you like for people to see the ball land, um, you know, on a, a non par three surface. Is there is there an underlying theory, or is that just a personal preference of playability? Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I think if you randomly polled a bunch of golfers. I think they would prefer to see the ball land. Visually, you you know you see it. Okay, it's safe. I know where it is. You know now we take off and walk, or we get on the cart, or what have you. And uh, you know even if you see it bounce, you know on the initial landing, it bounces and it kind of rolls over and down into a depression in the fairway. You still have an idea where it is. If you have a completely blind fairway and you hit your ball over it and the ball just disappears and you have no idea if they're even the next group is down there in front of you. I think it, it can be a little unsettling for people. And again, once or twice in a round of golf, if you have to do that, then then it just you have to do that. Um, but as an architect, you know, I think the vast majority of us like to have the landing area visible to at least see the ball on its initial bounce down out of the fairway. Okay, hey, you know that that's. That's definitely going to help pace of play if people aren't just wandering around aimlessly like, oh, Mo- like Moses in the desert <laughs> looking and, for that and, ball. And probably keeps more people from getting hit in the head by the group behind them. That's true. Now, I'm pro-bell. That, that is a trend. Uh, the removal of bells from golf courses is an, an extreme obscurity uh, that just is heartbreaking. I, I, the courses I grew up on had little crests and, you know, they had bells in the fairway or, or um, sure. you know, one at, at the green. So. I played. I, I told you I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and I grew up just across the river in a little town called Charlestown. And we didn't have a a golf course in Charlestown, but there was a course in uh, the area called the Floyd's Knobs. It's on, oh, up, sure, up, up above New Albany, and it was called Bally View. And I assume it's still there. It is. Uh, but the eleventh hole, maybe, was a par four, and you you just hit it off this elevated tee and it disappeared down over a hill and you had to wait if you knew somebody was in front of you you had to wait for the bell they would ring the bell as they started to walk out of the out of the uh, fairway and there were a number of courses like that around louisville that had a that had a bell um i, it's, I wonder how many still do not enough um in the for whatever reason i don't know vandalism or or just people weren't using them um one thing you'd mentioned to me prior was with the the visual tricks. Well, not tricks. That's the wrong word. But making people think um, what you like to to hide a green if you're going to obstruct it. Uh, maybe not do it right next green side. You know, not not doing a, right. an elevated or a punch bowl, but maybe sticking a, a green with a or a bunker with a a face twenty, thirty, even forty yards away. Talk to me a little bit about that theory and how that. How that works out and the, the reception, any feedback you get on that practice? Well, again, I think golfers part of the part of the appeal of the game is that there is uh, an intellectual challenge to it, whether they realize it or not. You know, people who first come into the game 
and they like being outside. They like playing with their friends. It's something a little bit different. It is a little frustrating at first, um, but they like the challenge. They, you know, they make a 30 foot putt or they hit a good shot and, you know, and these things keep them coming back. So you have to keep people thinking on the golf course. Again, sometimes they don't realize how hard the brain's working while they're out there trying to play. So that, the example I gave you, um, and I can tell you specifically, it's an 18 hole golf course that we did. It was actually my first 18 hole golf course when I was, uh, when I first got into business working with somebody else in, uh, Madison, Mississippi. It's called, uh, it was called Caroline Golf Club. I think they recently, I think they changed the name of it to Lake Caroline Golf Club now, but it is the first, second, third hole. It's a short par four. You kind of hit down to the bottom and then back up to the top of the hill. And I put a bunker maybe 30 yards short of the green that is a little bit smaller than the bunker next to the green, both kind of not really pot bunkers, but kind of semi-oval bunkers. So they look like they're side by side, even though the, the green that's more or less in the middle of the fairway of the, of the play line is 30 yards short. So you can tell when you're sitting there looking at it, you think, is that in front of the green? Is it short of the green? You know, you, so your, your mind's already trying to work. So you hit it and you just get it over that bunker and then you may get up there and find out you're short of the green. Now, <clears throat> the advent of GPS and the yardage books and all these other things that everybody has, you know, might steal a little bit of that away. But I think, you know, deep down in the subconscious, people still think, how far away is that bunker from that green? Or you know, can I hit it back in there in that corner and get get away with it, that type of thing? Lasers, yardage book. I'm a yardage book carrier. I love that. All of that... I don't know that it overcomes if my mind is smart enough to trust that over what my eyes see. So that is that's a bit of games, a bit of gamesmanship that is never sure. going out of style, no matter what technology they come come along with. Sure. Um, well, you have put Nathan. You have definitely put a different spin and and thought. Now you're going to make me rethink my position on all of this. So job job well done on that for sure. Thank um, you. I told you I'd take ten minutes. I'm I'm getting close to fifteen, so thank you. I'm on unless you you've got a parting thought on uh, blind tees, blind approaches, anything like that. I think you you made it pretty clear. Yeah, again, I, I just to kind of sum up. I I think most golfers like to see the ball at least land and you know, bounce and out in the fairway, and we try to do that as often. I, I try to do that as often as possible. I think most architects do. Sometimes you just can't. You know, sometimes the lay of the land dictates, and, and sometimes the budget dictates. You can't move enough dirt to, to make it work. You know, and you can't. You can also you start cutting fairways down enough that you create a saddle on almost like a V. Then it doesn't have the golf course anymore. So um, we try to do that as much as possible. Again, on approach shots, I like to kind of mix in some hidden approaches, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the entire green. It's actually better if it's not. I think you try to block off the left or the right side of the green and and uh again it just makes you think well what is behind there what why can't i see the bottom of that pin and uh, you know that's the fun part of the game that's why it's different than baseball and basketball and football where every field that they play on is the same you know golf every field is different and i think that that's what attracts a lot of people to the game well i'll, I'll give an amen to that that's what makes it fun keeps us coming back Nathan's commentary really made me think a bit more deeply about my position on the merits of blind tee shots. 
maybe they should only be used where absolutely necessary. I mean, the handful of memorable blind tee shots that I used for ammunition in my arguments were basically either from Tobacco Road or in Scotland, places where the golf courses were much more found rather than built, or at least made to appear that way. For perspective on that matter, I enlisted the help of author Tony Deere. Tony is an Englishman living in the United States and is as good and thoughtful a writer in the golf space as anyone working today. Among his bona fides include membership on the University of Liverpool golf team, a brief career as an aspiring PGA apprentice pro, and his 2015 book, The Story of Golf in 50 Holes, which you can find easily on Amazon, and I highly recommend that you do. I think I found Tony initially through his work with Lynx Magazine, which I'm a fan of, among the other publications that he writes for. And he's an entertaining follow on Twitter when he finds the time to engage. As you can tell from our discussion, he provides a proper perspective on the ideas of the merits and fairness and importance, or lack thereof, of blind golf shots, in a way that perhaps only an annoyed Englishman can. Here's Tony. Here's the thing about about blind shots. It, it seems to me it's one of those things that all of a sudden we're all supposed to have an opinion on. You know, it, it, it never... I've lived with as if as if it's some sort of hardship. I grew up with blind holes. I've played them all my life. You know, and, well, I say I've played them all my life. I played them for the first 15 years that I was playing golf and never heard a word said about them. And now, you know, in the last six months to a year, you know, I've seen all these articles about should I like or, you know, what should I think about blind shots? And it's, it's just one of those things that all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you didn't think about. You never, it never crossed your mind, but all of a sudden now I'm supposed to have an opinion on it and comment on it. If I think about it, I, the first, I try to think about when was the first time I would have come across a, a blind hole. And it must have been, you know, my dad and I used to go to the open every year and, and we, you know, we go for a week and we played some golf. So we always played a load of, load of the great courses, you know, where, wherever the open was or, you know, nearby. Mm-hmm. And so it must have been, it must have been some Scottish course, you know, when I was 15 or 16. And I'm just thinking of, you know, the first opens that we went to Dunbar. Dunbar was probably the first blind hole I ever, you know, the first up the hill at, at Dunbar or, or, or some other hole at Dunbar was probably the first time I ever encountered a, a blind hole. And, you know, as I said, I said a moment ago, you know, it just didn't register. Um, it's not like my dad and I got in the tee and thought, oh, blind, this driver's blind. What are you supposed to do here? This is weird. I mean, it's, it's just um, I'd never read anything about them. I, I, I'd never heard anyone talk about them. It was just blind. It was just something to just something, you know, just something to encounter and something to um, deal with. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sure having having played a dozen of them over the next few years, or, or two dozen of them, I would have formed some opinion, but I can't remember what it was. And now, you know, <laughs> looking back and, you know, looking, you know, ha- having having read so much about them, you know, I, it's got me thinking about what do I think about blind holes? And I'm not moved. I, I'm unmoved. I mean, I'm, I'm completely fine with them. I only think that you, you have a problem with them if you've been told to have a problem with them or if you've, if you've read some article that is negative towards them, 
I think if you'd never read a single word or heard a single word about blind holes in your life and you happen to encounter one on a, on a tour somewhere, you would find it a, an interesting quirk, an entertaining quirk, and you'd quickly get over it and you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't be bothered with it or buy them. That said, you know, I uh, thinking about it, if, if, if I played all these blind holes when, you know, in, in my late teens and twenties and there had been seven of them in a round, I'm sure I would have got to the seventh and thought, another one? This is, you know, this is getting a bit ridiculous now. I've had that experience. I, I, there, there's a course here that uh, I'll never play again just because the, the number of blind shots and blind holes was just ridiculous. They were stacked and it was just a poor routing. Um, but now that you, you mention it, you know, I never really gave it my thought, much thought. I, I, but my two thoughts are this. It feels like from the people I've talked to, and, and you included, that the you know it almost harkens back to a time when golf holes were found rather than created. Yeah. Um, and two, is it any different? I've played into fog. I've played directly into the sun. Those shots are blind. You know the okay. If Absolutely. I had if I had a welder's mask on, I could see where I was going. But um, soon as my eye leaves the the vertical space of my head, if I look up just a little bit, all of a sudden I've got God's flashlight in my eyes. I, I have no idea where that ball is going. Is that yes. materially different than the first the tee shot at Ely on number one? That's uh, a great point. You know, it it, it, it um it's, it amounts to exactly the same thing. You hit it and you um, trust and you hope. Part <laughs> of golf is just. Getting over, getting over, um, you know, difficulties or obstacles or barriers that are put in your way. That's part of the game. And yeah, I mean, what you said about, you know, found and built is, is, um, is very important. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these great old Scottish courses that I played that had blind holes, you know, the, they were obviously found, you know, that in order to get you back to the clubhouse, you know, and 18 great holes, you know, I'm sure, you know, one or two of them at most had to, had to be blind holes. That's just the way the course turned out. If you were to build a blind hole today, you know, you'd have to have a really good reason for it. Um, if it if it wasn't necessary, you know, if it, if it wasn't if if it wasn't a natural feature and and it, and you weren't required to to go over over a ridge or or a hill in order to get to back to the clubhouse, then yeah, I mean, you'd have to come up with a really sound reason for it, and I'm, I'm not sure many people could these days. You know, if I was an owner developer and I wanted a course built and I had whoever come, come and design it and they wanted to, they wanted to use a feature and, and it meant having a blind hole. If there was one, if that was the one instance in the round, no problem. Fine with me. And that, you know, the, I think the important thing to remember, obviously with, with all, whether it be a blind hole or whether it be six foot high rough or whatever, it's the same for everyone. So, I mean, don't get me started on fair because, <laughs> you know, and, unless, um, yeah, it, 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 it drives me crackers, you know, there's the, the, the whole fair thing. And unless someone's got bionic Superman vision that, that can somehow see the fairway through a, through a ridge or a hill, then it's the same problem for everyone. And if you're, if you're, if you're bitching because, um, because you've got a scorecard in your hand and you, you know what, you want to make the best score, shoot the best score possible. And that now someone's put some ridge in the way. Well, you know, just get over yourself. For heaven's sake, it's, 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 it's a, it's a hazard, you know, treat it as a hazard or whatever. Yeah. It's a hazard that, that you, that you take on and you, and you're not penalized for failing to, uh, to get over it. 
18 little one-hole matches if I'm going with somebody. Yeah, well, your, your point is well taken that we are culturally too, too worried about the number on the scorecard. And, yeah, the concept of fairness – as long as the same, as long as it's the same for everybody, I think that meets the the base definition of fairness. Um, you know, growing up playing those kinds of shots, what what got your pulse going a little quicker? Cresting the hill to see if a, a blind drive had, you know, had come down in play, or whether you're in trouble, or uh, walking up to see if you had. You know, if the ball in a, had landed, a blind approach had landed in a punch bowl and had done what it was supposed to do, trickle down towards the hole, or, or you missed and trickle off into trouble. Which, which one were you holding your breath a little tighter on? I, I suppose the, the first. It's one of those things that, you know, you read it. You read it in some book or some magazine article or whatever, and, and you think back to it and think, oh, is that what I felt? You know, it's, it's not like I ever run up, ran up the, like, like at Bergdale, the 11th of Bergdale, you know, that that's blind and I never ran up that hill and, and thought, oh my goodness, where my ball's gone. You know, I'm, I'm so excited to see it. It's, it's, it's not like I ran up, ran up to the top of a ridge or a hill to, you know, full of excitement. I, you know, the, the most I ever felt, I suppose, was curiosity because I think, you know, if you have a map of the hole or you have some idea of where the hole goes and you haven't got a scorecard in your hand, you know, I never played these, these courses, you know, in, a, in, a, in competitive. Competitively, sure. You know, I was playing that sure. with my dad, so it's it's not like I was I was absolutely, you know, just gripped with tension when I when I scaled the hill. You know, I, I hit the shot. I had a good idea of where it was going to be. Um, and so, you know, I I just I, I hope I'm I hope I'm giving the impression that I just don't think it's that big a deal. Yes, and that is a, a valid opinion to have. As you said, treat it as a hazard, and it's just another obstacle. Now, I, I will admittedly be a little bit different. You know, the scale in the hill, that, that first hill at Ely, or uh, shot trying to carry the spectacles at Carnoustie, and and trudging. You know, I, I, I walked a little quicker than my caddy, you know, just wanting to get up there and see if I had accomplished it. So the sure. the blindness, not, not knowing where it was landing, there was a... For me, it does it for me. I, that's something I enjoy. That's a, a unique challenge. That that's something that I seek out um, in moderation, not seven holes in a row, uh, as we mentioned. It's like anything in golf, you know, variety. You know, if you if you've got too many of them, then you're losing variety, and it, and and it and it sort of stamps its um, you know, the the the, the specter, if you will, of this course is um, blind shots, and you know, you don't want that. You want you want variety, so. Yeah, you know, have have one or two of them in your round. It's it's a little it's something a little different, but don't go overboard. Tony's insights help bridge the gap between the use of blind shots in golf course design as a concept and what they ultimately can mean to the players tasked with meeting those challenges on the course. But I wanted a player's perspective. As Tony mentioned, his blind shot experience was never in the competitive realm, and I felt like our discussion needed the perspective someone who's a much better, much more competitive golfer than Tony or our usual cast of characters. So I reached out to Alex Phillips. Alex is a professional golfer now based in Las Vegas, Nevada. She played Division I golf as a member of the Cal Poly San Luis Obispo team, where she also served as a coach after her playing days. She's a great player, having battled her way to status on the Symmetra Tour and is a certified world-class driver of the golf ball. 
having been ranked in the top 10 in the ladies division of the World Long Drive Association since entering that sport in 2015. She's been featured on the Golf Channel both as a featured guest and as a competitor in the World Long Drive Championships. She's developed her own brand at Swing Like a Girl Golf, which she manages through her own Swing Like a Girl Golf website, in addition to being an active and entertaining follow on Instagram. She's a strong player whose game features her prodigious power, so she's going to look at the golf course perhaps a little differently than the rest of us. Nonetheless, her insights highlight what make blind shots such a challenge. So here's Alex with her perspective on how she approaches the very different issues of blind approach shots and blind tee shots. We're all what you'd call sort of mid-handicap hacks. So for a player's perspective, I needed to look outside the normal suspects of my friends. And so um, you're a fun follow on social media. Uh, I know you've played you know, high-level golf. Again, you're a, a proven world-class driver of the golf ball. So you seem like a good person to get perspective from. Perfect. Um, now, have you – desert golf is a little different. I guess there's not a lot of – or maybe there are more elevation changes. But, you know, from you strategically approaching, you know, a blind tee shot, where where is your mind going? Is that more – nerve-wracking or does that get your pulse going a little quicker than maybe a target you can see or trouble a hazard you can see um so one i'm from reno so desert not what i grew up with gotcha i grew up mountain golf um and so we do have a lot of that especially uh, my junior golf career i played a lot of california uh, a lot of northern california in particular which um i mean one course in particular would be marin country club where i played the u.s open q last year um, huge blind shot. Thankfully, my caddy knew the course really well um, because I hadn't seen it yet. Um, but that's the big thing with blind shots is trusting your target because you can't see where the ball's going to land. So you can't you can't quite visualize it as much, and you're kind of just trusting. Like I hope that tree is actually the line. <laughs> like yeah, I mean it's it's definitely going to. Um, it's going to be a little harder to trust just because you can't see it. And especially the ones that like you hit a good one, you're like, oh, that was good. Hopefully it was the right line. (laughs) (laughs) So compare that for me to, uh, you know, a bunker out there in your landing area that you can see. Uh, The the nerves, the way you evaluate that situation may be the same. You just hit it and trust that you hit a good one. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to in in either of those situations. Um, Visually intimidating is that bunker that you can reach, you know it's in play, and the miss is always trying, like, oh, don't hit it in there. So you tend to overdo the the draw away from it, or, you know, you shove it trying not to hit it. Like, don't miss left. And that's, I see that a lot more, whereas when when it's a blind shot, you, you absolutely have to trust your line and just, like, hope for the best um but in either case you need to make sure that you're trusting your decision so it's one thing i do on a lot of blind tee shots i don't hit driver i tend to hit a three-wood or a hybrid because if you miss the miss isn't going to be as bad right you know um and then you know like the reachable bunker in the fairway it's it's easy to just hit four iron and then have another four iron, but you you don't want to do that. You want to hit driver. You want to 
thread it to, to the other side of the fairway and then, you know, have an eight iron in. That's how you make birdies. That's how your birdie looks and make pars and everything, you know, like it's, in, it's intimidating to have a bunker that's in, in play right in your, in your line of line of sight and everything. That's one thing I really had a hard time when I was coaching in college. Um, I remember the first, first course I coached on, I had my yardage book from the year before and, um, I looked at it and I was like, all right, just hit driver over the bunker. That's what my, my note said. First hole. And I was like, great. And I looked at everyone on the tee box and I was like, um, uh, yeah, hit driver. I mean, you guys can reach that bunker. So I, I think that's harder in knowing trouble is in play for me when it's not in play for other players. Okay. Whereas yeah. a blind shot, everyone's at the same level. Like none of us can see it unless you know you're like my old caddy that was like six eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that helps having a bird's eye view. Um, Absolutely. You know, it, I'm assuming in, in your long drive exploits, you're obviously there's one goal: keep it in play, but hit it as far as possible. Your your competition swing, your competition driver swing. Do you know the distance that that's going to go with the same? relative precision that you will maybe a long iron or my point is the difference between maybe a blind approach and a blind drive blind drive you know the ball may run out you may be it may be bounding on its way given whatever your trajectory is versus okay if you've got an, an iron into a blind shot your range uh your relative range of misses is a little smaller i would agree with that 100 percent okay uh, I, I try to say it's, okay, blind blind approach shot, you're landing a helicopter on an aircraft carrier. Blind drive, you're landing a Concorde with no equipment in the dark. Um, <laughs> that may be way off, but that that's the best my mind could come up with. Um, I mean, I agree with that. Like, But that's the thing. Any longer club, you're, you're – that's one thing about long drive. Like, People are like, how do they miss the grid with eight balls? Like the boys, if you're one degree off – if you're one degree off at 100 yards, like that's not that far, right? You're still gonna hit the green. One degree off at 200 yards, 400 yards, a 50-yard fairway is like that big at 400 <laughs> yards. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing. Like they're swinging so hard. Like for us, of course, it's the same thing. I mean, we were, um, we had a couple girls over 400 yards last year. Like the the numbers, like that far away, your your misses can be so big. And that's that's one reason hitting blind tee shot is so nerve wracking because if you if you're one degree off of your tee shot, uh, it, it's a big miss. Whereas like you said, if you're hitting a pitching wedge, if you even if you don't hit a great, you're still probably going to hit close to the green. <laughs> Around the green, right? Yeah. Now, you know. so personal opinion: what cresting the hill to see if your drive is in play or in trouble versus cresting the hill to see if you got that blind approach close did it funnel where it was supposed to was your caddy right which which gets you which gets the juices flowing a little bit more definitely the drive because the drive i can get into trouble like i i actually i played a some executive course yesterday um which was super fun but i never played it and there were a couple of elevation changes 17 pull i thought i had an awesome shot and like getting up um, but on one, I was walking, which I haven't walked a course in a while. <laughs> too, like we're walking up and you could see one ball and me and my playing partner, we both hit good shots. And I was like, that could be mine, which means that I have like a 20 footer for birdie and I have to give him a shot on that hole. And I was like, no, like I have to be closer. Like that one was like really getting me going. So I was like, I thought I was closer. Thankfully I was, and I made the birdie putt, but like, that's when it's like, I thought I hit a good shot and you're like, then you start questioning it. But the tee shots, like cresting that hill like i hope i did my math right <laughs> more than anything perfect that 
for the rest of us, you know, we just want that ball to be in play. Uh, you know, the blind, the blind drive, we just want to be able to find it. The blind approach, we just want it close. Little, little <laughs> different, I think, uh, at your level. So, I appreciate Alex's attitude and her perspective, which confirms a bit of what Nathan said earlier, that a high-level player is going to be more precise with their iron distances generally, so that a blind approach shot will likely be less of a relative challenge for them than for us mere mortals. As long as Alex does the math right on the distance and the elevation, in theory, what difference does it make if she can see the target of a hidden green? Contrast that with how she described her thoughts on a blind tee shot, where she feels like her power from the tee can get her in real trouble. I would argue this supports a conclusion that the more thought goes into a blind tee shot, as a player cycles through a larger array of possible outcomes, more things are messing with the player's mind. More things are defending the course visually, making the successful blind tee shot a superior golf shot. But as Nathan also noted, there are different practical implications to using blind tee shots that a golf course operator has to consider. Enter my friend Rich Mueller. Rich is now the operator at Crooked Tree Golf Club in Tucson, Arizona. But he spent his youth as a nationally ranked junior golfer before heading to play for the University of Arizona, which he followed with a 13-year professional playing career on three different continents and in a dozen different countries, including a 10-year stint on the PGA Tour of Australia. Yes, that is Australia and Asia put together. He's played golf at the highest levels, but now has to move a couple hundred golfers around Crooked Tree on any given day during Arizona's busy golf season. He's one of the kindest gentlemen in golf, and Rich provides a great perspective here from both a playing ideal and what a club professional has to deal with. Here's Rich. Rich, I just wanted to get your opinion. You have played golf all over the world. You have played at the highest levels. Um, kind of wanted to get your opinion on on blind shots, on blind tees versus approaches from a from a player's perspective. Um, and then also as a golf course operator, you know, I don't know if you've got anything blind out on your course there in Arizona. If you get any chirping or feedback or, or anything like that, so. Well, I mean, I would start right away with as an operator from my perspective, I suppose maybe I'm glad that I don't have any blind quirky holes just to, you know, for basic pace of play issues, things like that. Um, I think at a private club, it might make a difference. But with public golf, in the course that I operate with high volume, um, it's and this is again, this is something that 17 years ago, before I ventured into that aspect of the business, I wouldn't have considered. In fact, I was my ideology was, oh man, I just I want to have some cool bunkering and I want to make this thing, you know. I, I just didn't consider things, basic things like pace of play and mm -hmm. making, you know, uh, the skill levels of players. So, you know, I've changed a lot um, over the years from that standpoint, but just from a personal level. Um, especially even starting the game. I, I grew up playing in Australia. I mean, I was 10 years old, and that's where I got introduced to the game. And and we had in Melbourne just a, an amazing variety of courses um, uh, and, and a lot of public golf, um, easy access for a lot of courses. Even the really great golf courses were accessible for, for juniors, for kids. So Wouldn't that be a, isn't that a pleasant dream? <laughs> 
Yeah, no. Uh, and at the time, I had no idea. That's all I knew. So, I mean, I thought this is golf. You know, this is this is what a great game. I mean, it's 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 incredible. Plus, the the golf courses there were the old course style, so they weren't really lined with houses and you know corridors of homes and um, and. As, you know, I'm, I'm extremely biased to that as a, I guess I, I, I don't want to be a snobby golfer, but my favorite courses tend to be the ones that are, that are, uh, you know, devoid of homes. And, and, and so I suppose in that, along those lines, you know, getting back to the blind shots, I mean, we had, it, topography had a lot to do with it. And we had some wonderful topography and sort of hills to hit over and um, uh, greens that were tucked behind dunes and features like that and massive bunkering, um, partially blind shots. So, and, and, you know, they were built a long time ago. So, you know, so much of there's so much to cover here, but um, uh, we've changed our perspective of the game. I think probably more so here in the United States um, that I've noticed. Sure. Um, we don't think that blind shots are fair. You know, I mean, and the game is inherently unfair. So somewhere along the line, we did. I, where did we where did we get off track? Yeah. You know, the, Australia, uh, the UK, you know, and even the older courses here, the East Coast and, and you know, Chicago, the older parts of of this country. You had, you know, when golf holes were found, you know, that's whether they were if it was a blind shot, if you had to get from point A to point B, there was no expectation of what would be in between. Um, That's right. You know, some of my favorite uh, on my trip last year to Scotland, some of my favorite holes, um, Ely, you got two great blind tee shots, number one and number 10. But you go to North Berwick and you've got some of the best blind approaches on, uh, you know, on perfection and on 17 there up the hill. Those are great and exciting shots. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion. You know, when you're when you were really playing a lot, which what got your pulse going a little quicker? Which one did you hold your breath on more? If you're hitting you're hitting a blind tee shot with the the driver or a long club, or as you're walking up a hill towards a blind approach that you've just struck, hoping that it's somewhere near the hole. Uh, great question. But I think the the, the tee shots never seem to bother me that much. Um, uh, I actually enjoyed them, but I was a very accurate driver. So if I had a practice round, I'm assuming we've seen the hole before, um, those type of shots were almost, almost relished them. The blind approach is the one that would be, that was, and I don't know if I was even that concerned about them at the time, but because I trusted my swing a lot more than see, and I think that's the absolute key to this whole the, the the way to play blind shots is if you if you don't trust your swing or trust your game, um, you're going to struggle with with both of those types of shots. And so for me today, if you give me a blind approach shot, say the the second shot to number three at Yale, I'm I'm probably going to hit a pretty pretty dismal shot. I'm just telling you. I'm just being honest. I I I, I th- overthink it. I you know I I it, I've, I've gotten used to using a range finder for heaven's sakes. Um, and, well, yeah, that's know, an aspect I hadn't even thought about. How how addicted we are. Well, yeah, exactly, Dave. That's that's exactly right. Um, that's one of the points is that is that you know when I first started playing golf, I didn't as a kid. If we had a 150 marker, and over in Australia we didn't even have those at the time, we, you just you just eyeballed stuff, and you got pretty darn good at it. I mean, you got really good at eyeballing and um, and getting a sense of distance. And so, um, you know, 
if you were lucky enough to have someone with you that maybe or if you had a caddy, you know, that could sort of, you know, wind you up and get you that that, that was helpful. But uh, um, but we but nowadays we you know, I'm reliant on too many things that that take away my connection with the shot. <laughs> just it's uh, again just being honest but that's what makes golf much more difficult for me nowadays so it's a matter of either going back to completely just losing all the technology and just playing strictly by feel uh that'd be a better i'd be much better at blind shots i can tell you know you said something there a, a moment ago the i trust my iron distances within a such a narrower range that's why i think it's such a, a greater challenge off the tee because you're you're Exercise, at least for someone like me, you're exercising so much less control. Now, at the highest level, you know, when you were really playing well, that may not have been true. You may have been able to, you know, you knew how far your three wood was going to go within five or ten yards, I bet. Uh, oh, for sure. And and I'm just thinking about right off the top of my head here, I can remember um, some opening tee shots. Uh, I know in the New Zealand Open, we'd play Paraparumu Beach, which is probably one of my top three favorite courses in the world. And um, that was an that was an old Alex Russell design. He was Mackenzie's protege at Royal Melbourne. Um, and um, in the first hole there, it was tucked the tee box is tucked right against the pro shot in the clubhouse, a little hedge, and you're hitting this sort of down down off a little uh, hillock, and it bends to the left, and you can't see the fairway, you know, and you're, you're asking to hit this tee shot. You can't, you don't really know. Again, just full trust, just full on trust. And, and then, and there's, then there's the wind that's blowing too. And if you miss to the left too far, you're in that massive fescue, like, you know, British Lynx courses. And so, um, you're right. The, the tee shot w- would be pretty terrifying if you're not fully, you know, dialed into your, to your distances. But, um, and that's and that's probably a distinguishing difference. You're right with uh, when, if you're not uh, as trustworthy with your longer, you know, longer clubs, hybrids. Um, so but I was also thinking of another aspect of this, which is, um, you know, we I, I believe that match play was the, the most common form of competition years and years ago, you know, hundreds of years ago. Sure. And I I just don't think that, you know, the golf courses. It didn't matter. Blind shots were, were everywhere. Dunes and I mean, look at like Prestwick, and we had blind shot par threes, not just not yeah. just <laughs> you know. Uh, and and in some of the some of the architects have tried to um, tried to tried to copy some of those templates. And then, and I can give you an example at um, Southern Dunes, Auction Southern Dunes out here and up in Phoenix, um, uh, outside of Phoenix, they they had a par three, the seventeenth hole. That was uh, was a copycat hole, and they put a sort of a dune, made a dune on the left that blocked virtually most of the green. And it was 205 from the back tee, and I loved the hole. I, do, I thought it was cool, and you could land it short and bounce it on, which is an, a thrilling shot in my mind. I think right. it might bother a lot of people, and so I might be a weirdo in the minority of people that love those quirky type of shots, but. Um, it, People hated it, and it just it just it, it ended up being remodeled. And then I was going to say, down. did they change it? Yeah, they did. There's a little bit of hill there, but not not like it used to be. And you know, uh, I've played holes where you'd have to climb up a ladder, you know, to on the tee box. To, you have to climb up a ladder to a little platform to see if there's anybody in the fairway. Still, mm-hmm. I mean, um, I played a course in uh, in Gestad, Switzerland, a few years ago. 
uh, with a on the back nine. I think it was about the 14th hole. It was a terrorizing hole because it was so narrow visually off the tee and, and blind. Uh, and, and you just have to hit one. You just have to stripe one. And it, it, you could hit any club, driver, hybrid, three wood, four iron, whatever. Just get it in play because it's a short hole. But you can't see any of the fairway, not, a, not at all. High grasses, uh, uh, it's death to the left, and it's really a tumbling bank to the right, down to death. So, And you get up on this ladder to see if everyone's clear of the fairway, and that's when you're able to see that it's not as narrow when you're up there but then you climb back down that ladder and it's it's right back to oh man do i believe my eyes or what do i you know yeah so so, so there's a reveal when you climb up the ladder and then it goes away yeah that that's almost away. that's almost meaner <laughs> it, it's cruel it is meaner <laughs> You decide, you know, usually say, hey, somebody needs to go up to the up to the top to see if they're clear now. Uh, you, you know, I also had a course in uh, Tucson here in junior golf that I played a lot at Skyline, the 12th hole. You'd have to ring a bell after you hit your second shot so that everyone on the tee knew you were out of the way. I am so, pro you know, there bell. Was the bell ring. Yep, bells, bells are good. Talk about testing the player, testing the mental aspect right there on whether they your knees are knocking and you can't control it or whether you, as you say, just let one rip and trust you know, trust yourself and trust yeah. the, the result's going to be uh, good enough. Sort of example of a, of a golf hole. You may have played at uh, 18 at Riviera. When when you see it on television from the from the uh, blimp or whatever, uh, it, it you don't really understand that there's this hill that you've got to drive up over. So it's a completely blind tee shot, and the guys are teeing off down below and hitting it up way up and hitting. You got to hit a, like a power fade there, and. Um, mm-hmm. And and you can't see any of the fairway. And it's a pretty significant berm or bank that you're hitting up over. So um, you, when you're down on the tee box and it's the last hole and it's coming down to it, that's I mean, just an amazing challenge. It really is. And I mean, the guys hit it so far nowadays, but they still all know that um, what's if they miss it left and cuckoo you on the bank, they're they're pretty much dead. They're not going to be able to hit a right into that elevated green where you can't see the surface either uh, so it's it's a it's a it's a it's a tee shot that 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 um uh you just have to put full trust in and and i just think that's that's what that's what makes or breaks a, a good player or a, a you know a successful blind tee shot guy or approach guy so you're you're talking you like the you don't mind the approach shots I'm, i don't mind the tee shots so there you go we have you know, in our own way, we favored you know different different parts of that. So we'd be a great ham and egg team. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the quirkiness aspect is um, maybe we're in the minority, Dave. But um, you know, if, if there was eighteen holes like that, I don't know if we we. I mean, I'm I don't have much hair left. I'd have no hair left. So well, you see, um, you see how I go these days. You um, know, so yeah, I'm, yes. There, there is a place. To your point, there is a place. Uh, yeah, and too much can be too much. Rich has stories for days and such a great perspective as a player, which I've been fortunate to share with him on a couple occasions here in Kentucky. And as an extremely accurate player, it was interesting to hear how his approach differs from Alex's approach to blind tee shots and blind approach shots. His comments as an operator, being grateful for his course's lack of blind shots, was another nugget I hadn't really considered in thinking about blind golf shots. So I wanted to potentially explore that side of it, the green grass reality of blind shots, with one of my favorite people in golf. Matthew Wharton is a certified golf course superintendent and master greenskeeper, 
at the Carolina Golf Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. He too is a little bit of a renaissance man as he's an agronomist, an engineer, writer, speaker, a talented golfer in his own right, and a lover of classic golf courses. His Carolina club is a 1929 Donald Ross Classic. We share an affinity both for the links of Scotland and Ireland as well as the courses of the Sand Hills of North Carolina. In particular, we share a reverence for the late Mike Strands, the golf course designer and architect who created some of the more remarkable golf courses of the 1990s and early 2000s and who incorporated blind shots and semi-blind angles into the strategy of his bold golf course designs. Here's a few minutes with Matthew. You know, you're somebody that's a, a good and prolific player. You're also a, a superintendent and uh, just well-versed in all the the facets of the game. So I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of um, just briefly on, on blind shots generally, um, what you hear from your members and, and folks about them, and uh, if you differentiate between hitting something blind with a driver or a long iron in your hand versus coming into a, a blind shot to a green that's probably going to be more receptive to it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the funny thing is uh, at Carolina Golf Club, where I'm superintendent, and I've been there since 2005, there's not really any blind shots on the course. Um, so as far as comments from members, don't really hear any. Everything's right there in front of you, etc. Uh, but going all the way back to my beginning in golf, I, I grew up in a, in a rural part of southwestern Virginia, a little town called Castlewood. And uh, I grew up learning to play and working at Lake Bonaventure Country Club, which is a nine-hole course designed by Alex McKay, a former Scotsman, uh, in the late 50s. And there were three blind tee shots in those nine holes, three, eight, and nine. Three wasn't blind if you chose to lay up off the tee, but if you decided to hit driver, it, it was a blind shot. And then there was a blind approach to the fifth hole. So from the outset, you know, blind shots to me were kind of normal, if you will. Um, and having played a good bit of golf in the Sand Hills, pretty much Southern Pines, Mid Pines, Tobacco Road, Pine Needles, I'm very familiar with those blind tee shots, that sixth hole at pine needles you're just hitting to a horizon line and mm-hmm. uh, you know that that's not uncommon on those courses and as a player i think the blind tee shot's the one that makes us the most uncomfortable even if we're familiar with the course uh you know pete dice quoted as saying a shot's only blind once but even though you know what's over the horizon you still somewhat have a tendency to try to steer the ball it's it's hard to just relax and let it go. Uh, it's the blind approach shot that I think is the most thrilling and exhilarating in golf. There's just something about you can't see the target, so you either walk you know, forward, ahead, you climb, or maybe it's to the side, depending on how the nature of what makes it blind. You get some point of reference, whether it's a tree, a cloud, something. You go back, you, you take that swing, and then there's that sense of adventure. You know, what are we going to find when we crest the hill? Is the ball going to be close to the flag or somewhere else? That's that's pretty exhilarating. I, I really enjoy that. Um, I get that. And, and, you know, there are 
I was coming at it from the angle. He was arguing that the blind, the blind approach is the, you know, that's the golf shot. That's the one that you see in Scotland on all those green sites that were just found, you know, more so than, than designed. Um, and I get that. The Alps template is, you know, is a great example of that. North Barrick's got a couple where you, you're hitting into, you're picking some line on the horizon or, or something and, and hitting and hoping, which is exciting. You know, some of my favorite shots, on the other hand, were were blind drives. You know, up short par four, hit it up like Ely, number 10, first hole at Ely over there, you know, where you've got the, the submarine periscope to see the fairway. Just kind of, I'm with you. Those are more nerve-wracking. I think those are harder to pull off. I think typically, now forgive me if I'm wrong with limited experience, more blind greens, you tend to be a little more receptive, maybe have a backboard or a punch bowl aspect to it. Um, Not always. Uh, You know, they stick a bunker back there where you can't see it, and then we get into an argument about fairness. But, um, (laughs) and, and, you know, we don't, I don't recall anything like that down there in the sand hills where, I'm so fond of playing where you've got a big hazard blind. True, true. You know, uh, the sixth, I think it's the 16th hole at Augusta Country Club is a short uphill four with a punch bowl green. And that's just a really, you you hit the shot and then you you go up and crest over and take a peek. And uh, that's really cool. Uh, The course I grew up on, we had two, two of those nine holes had bales. And as a result, I, I still just get a kick out of any time I see a bale on a golf course. When we took our turf net trip to Ireland in October of last year, there was a, a bell hole at uh, Innisgrown. And I, I took a picture of my wife's caddy ringing the bell just because I just have a thing for bells. And, you know, the second hole at Southern Pines has a bell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, seven at Tobacco Road when you're leaving the fairway. Um, yeah, just a lot of that's something fun. I'm with you. They've, there's a couple of courses here that had them, and then for whatever reason they've they've been taken out or were vandalized or whatever, and haven't been replaced. And um, yeah, but you know me. I mean, it's the Blind Shots podcast. There's uh, they both they both quicken your pulse a little bit. I think. I think the approach shot is a little easier just because you're coming in steeper. Um, you know, you're landing a, a helic. You know, unless you're out of position, you're landing a little higher shot and, and hoping. I almost discount that a little bit because you don't get as a player, you don't get to see the magic happen. You know, on a even like on a redan hole, if you don't have a good view of the green, you may not see how how your ball rolled all the way from point A, you know, back to wherever it funneled and. Um, when you are able, I think that's exhilarating. Like eight at Tobacco Road, you put one up on a slope and watch it. You're able to watch it creep down towards a pimps or creep away from the hole in agony. Um, <laughs> you know, angel and devil uh, on those those big slopes. But uh, well, you know, it, it's unfortunate. We we lost Mike way too early. It, it would have been. Can you imagine what the last twenty years would have been like if if Mike was still around designing golf courses? I think that's a dream a lot of a lot of avid golfers have, and they like to theorize about just because those uh, just a master of angles and those fun um, that that ball doesn't stop when it gets on the green. No matter how much spin you put on it, it's gonna it's just starting its journey, um, which is one of the fun things about the blind shots because rarely do you hit it and it sticks because uh, you're going uphill. You're going, um, and I think architects are really you know the ones that are really thoughtful are really good about that. And Mike was a master of that for sure. 
As I intimated earlier, the mic that Matthew brought up there was Mike Strands, whose seminal work, in my opinion, was Tobacco Road Golf Club in Sanford, North Carolina, a golf course that uses blind tee shots and blind and semi-blind approach shots as prodigiously and effectively as just about any course in America that the public is welcome to play. Which brings us back to where this whole episode began, at Tobacco Road. My final guest I asked for an opinion on our blind shot analysis is Mark Stewart, who is the developer and co-owner and operator of Tobacco Road. Mark is thoughtful, as always, and provides some fun insights into how and why so many blind shots came to be at Tobacco Road. When people play it, I'm sure you're aware it's kind of a – it can polarize opinions. Um, is the – I guess the quantity or the quality of, of blind shots something that you hear back or read and feedback about the course? I think that, you know, sometimes we do, but the – the, the polarization is, the, you know, if it's one out of a hundred, sometimes the, the loudest one, you know, will kind of convince people that the it's a lot more polarizing than it is because, you know, sometimes you'll get one person that can be kind of outspoken. But I, I think that a lot of people are surprised or were surprised when we opened because the, the blind shot had been somewhat – not a part of golf in this part of uh, the country. There's a few courses with some, you know, some semi-blind shots, but um, most of the courses in our area are, are not like that. But again, that's what gives us our identity. And Mike, it goes back to the natural features that Mike found when he first walked the property and was routing the course. There was a lot of a lot of holes, for lack of a better word, a lot of mounds and the remnants of the the mining operation gave him a chance to incorporate some unique features in our course. Well, and you touch on something I think is important. You know, it does harken back to when more golf holes were found. Uh, you know, for hundreds of years, the, the guys in Scotland have been if you had to get from point A to point B, if that's the way the course was laid out, whatever was in between those two was just whatever was between those two. And you, you made out the best you could. Um, well, and, and that's true. And it, again, and it, it was actually minimalism in that Mike left a lot of things. A lot of the, the the blindness or the mystery of the course are actually not things he did. It's really things he didn't do by leaving it. The classic example is, the 18th hole, as you drive in, you see that big hole on the right that you have to carry uh, with your tee shot on 18. And that was a hole that was dug at that point because that's where the property line was when we first started digging. And, and we dug up to the property line, and through the, the 40 or so years that we mined the property, we assembled kind of a checkerboard of different property owners, different properties, Sometimes we just bought the sand. Sometimes we bought the land. And you have to leave, when you mine property like that, you have to leave setbacks. You can't just dig right up to someone else's property line. So, you know, maybe you had a 30-foot setback on this property line, a 50-foot setback on that property line. And as a result, it led to the golf course that you see today. Yeah. Some of the, 
you know, that makes sense that, that, that you've got those mounds that kind of are, can be kind of jarring, but it sounds like because you, the nature of the mining and the, the extraction that you had to do, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting little bit of history that I, I didn't know I hadn't thought of. I don't know how many times you've played that course, but, you know, you've got some great blind tee shots, but you've also got some really tough blind approaches. Um, number nine being a great one. Uh, number 16, I've yet to play that hole like I know what I'm doing, so that that's a challenge um, <laughs> that, that continues. But, um, you know, what – you might know them uh, as well as anybody, but what gets your pulse going a little quicker? Is there one over the other as far within the blind shot realm there? Well, as far as – you mentioned the ninth hole, the approach shot to nine is – still unnerves me after all these years because I, I really don't like being right in that big deep uh, waste area because it, it's just easy I'm not a very good sand player and I'm not a good player anyway I'm about a 12 but I'll, uh, I just don't want to pick it clean and hit it over into one fairway so I'm, I'm always leery on, on that shot that's still nerve wracking for me and and some of the others I, you know over time I, I do know that that Mike at our course and some of other his other courses that is always more generous than it appears and it really I, I what I try to do is just let go and swing freely because I, I am yeah, now something a whole like 14 with the water in front actually sometimes seeing a hazard it, it can work either way you know right. sometimes you're afraid of the unknown and sometimes you kind of see it and it it you know um can certainly intimidate you but i think part of mike's thinking is that again if you can get in people's heads one way or another and if um if you can create that doubt that you can you know you've got a very good golfer and i recently played the course for the first time with a very very good golfer and he didn't he had a hard time getting comfortable and trusting some of the lines i was giving him and, and i'm sure he'll come back and you know go really low but um sometimes it's just you know the the mental part of the game can be the uh the hardest part to master so i'll give mike credit for keeping the course interesting with uh his design choices you know and that i agree and i think that's what makes kind of the I think that's what makes the blind tee shot harder. You know, a blind shot to a green is typically going to be a little bit more receptive. Now, 15 might be right. an exception. If you if you take the aggressive line there over the trees and you, you've got that, you know, that is a, a difficult green. And that's kind right. of a neat knocker and, and not what I would call receptive to a shot. But, you know, something like 16, something like 9 where you've got that bowl um, even number two, if you're if you're out right. to the right and going over, you've got a big enough area. Whereas, you know, from the tee, just what you said, can I do I trust what I just saw when I maybe drove up and, and took a peek versus an obvious hazard uh, like the lake that you can see there on the, the par three. So, right, um, right. That, you know, that dichotomy, I think, you know, Tobacco Road, again, probably does as well as anybody in the country, at least of the, of my experience. You've put your money where your mouth is on that being an interesting part of golf. Uh, would you, I guess I'll get you out of here on this one. Would you do it again? If you had another couple hundred acres there of sandy soil near Lemon Springs, would you, is that something you'd want to incorporate, um, do you think, or, or 
is the the 18 challenging holes of Tobacco Road of, of blind shots and and rolling rolling tee shots. Do you think enough that the golf world can handle? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, and I I would I would try to find the architect that I could trust to complement uh, what we have. And it, again, if the if the the property were such that he incorporated some interesting interesting shots, whether you know blind, semi blind, or or not. Um, you know, we were very fortunate that we put our trust in the right person, and it doesn't always work out. But uh, uh, that, that's a great question. But I, I would hope that you would find a piece of property. I would encourage anyone to, you know, each property is going to need its own identity. And I, I think what you would have to watch in that situation is somebody that would try to outdo or or think that more, you know, that to, to try to outdo what we have, I think, would be kind of a it could be a mistake and and you know all these multi-course resorts that's kind of the challenge for them that if you've got golf courses built during the same era on similar property side by side how do they distinguish each other so so i don't know dave that's a great question and um uh, I don't know. We'll, you know, if we find that 200 acres, I'll let you know. <laughs> fair, fair enough. And you know what? That you're willing to leave it to the land. I think that's probably the right answer, Mark. There you go. I've been fortunate to get to know Mr. Stewart just a little bit, and I'm better for it. As an owner of Tobacco Road, he's tasked, in a way, as the keeper of Mike Strand's legacy, because the course is basically a modern art masterpiece. And I think it's in good hands, and it's a place I'm going to look forward to seeing at least once a year from here on out. The good blind shot remains one of my favorite propositions in golf. It's difficult, it requires certain confidence and mental toughness, on top of the execution required everywhere else on a golf course. I think Tobacco Road makes great use of the mental examination of golfers, with its blind and semi-blind tee shots, and on more than a handful of holes. The truly blind shots like the tee shots on the rolled hole of the old course at St. Andrews, the 1st and 10th holes at Ely, the 16th on the Jubilee course, and the 7th and 18th at Tobacco Road are some of my favorite shots in golf. At the same time, there is a certain thrill on holes with a blind approach, walking up or around a hill anticipating seeing my ball on the putting surface or close to the hole. The 9th and 16th at Tobacco Road inspire those feelings. The 5th at Leaven Links, the 2nd at Ely, the 3rd and 18th at Arcadia Bluffs, and the Pit Perfection and Point Gary at North Berwick. All beautiful blind greens that reveal themselves spectacularly at the very last minute. Both shots have merit, both provide challenges requiring skill and faith and maybe a little luck along the way. So who won the debate? Well, I did, of course. But it's because I got to pick all these wonderful minds and engage in these conversations along the way while seeking my answer. I'll close with this quote from David McClay Kidd. If I'm faced with no option but a blind shot, I want to know that if I take the leap of faith, good things will happen. This is the basic tenet of blindness on a golf course. Good stuff. A huge thank you to my very special guests today. Fred and Matt, as always, Nathan Crace, Tony Deer, Alex Phillips, Rich Muller, Matthew Warden, and Mark Stewart. For more information on these folks and their endeavors, please check out the information and links in the show notes. Hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I know it was a long episode, so if you've hung with me this far, 
I sincerely, desperately hope that you liked what you heard here. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Share an episode with your friends or on social media. And head over to iTunes and leave a review and a rating for the show. That's the only way we make sure the communists don't win. If you don't like what you heard here, sorry about that. I can't do anything about it now, but I will try to do better the next time. And I hope you will join me next time again here on the Blind Shots Podcast. Most importantly, I hope you're being safe and smart and sane out there. We will get through this. So remember, when you're playing golf, whether you can see the target or you're aiming at a cloud that you desperately pray hasn't moved too far, do decide to go for it and take dead aim. Yeah, I mean, you know, screw you, Dave, because um, yeah. now you've got me thinking about blind shots, and I'm, I, I never wanted to. My work, my work here is done. <laughs>